This is one of those famous acts of Jesus that can teach us so much. And many times we look at on a mere surface level. In this, we see Jesus' love when he washes the disciples' feet. We see his humility as he bends down like a servant. And we see his leadership as he leads them by example. But there's a lot of also spiritual realities underneath this. So this is going to be a layered account this morning. We're going to see the surface, what's going on, and what they can see. And then the cues of which John gives us, what's going on spiritually underneath that. And this is really going to set the tone for the rest of what happens in the Gospel of John. Because now as Jesus draws in closer with his disciples, there's an intimacy that follows. Everything after this, the teaching, his humility, his beating, his crucifixion, his resurrection is done out of love. Is done out of concern for his own, who he draws closer to him in his final hours. And so this week we're going to see also two dramas unfold. There's the obvious drama of what's going on in this act of over the meal, and then there's the underlying drama which John kind of hints at. So the first one we're going to cover in depth this morning, and the second one we're going to save for next week. And so it's also important to realize where we are right now. This is the upper room in the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. This is where they take the time to show Jesus' institution of the Lord's Supper. But John makes no mention of it. John knows exactly what Matthew, Mark, and Luke had already written. He he, he knew what came before him as the last gospel being written. But he also knew our tendency toward ritual. And our tendency to get caught up in external things. And so John, as he likes to do, addresses the heart. He addresses the intent of what's going on here. And so this is helpful for us to see Jesus' intent as he institutes the words of the Lord's Supper, which we are going to partake of today. So I also want to challenge you. If you get this account, you get the gospel. But if you get this account wrong, your gospel is incomplete. Because for many people, this is just an act of Jesus. This is something that Jesus, Jesus served, and this is the character and nature of Jesus. And look how great Jesus is, and that is absolutely true. But it's not just that. Then other people will take it to the other side and say, this is a call for everyone to serve everywhere. It's just about serving in general. But that misses the point as well. So I want to see how these two things work together and how this This account helps us to understand the gospel. So this morning, we must pay close attention to Jesus's words, but also the details that John gives us. So we're going to jump right in and we're going to pay attention to these details. I got a lot of ground to cover, but we will be continuing on in this narrative next week. So picking up in John chapter 13, starting in verse one. Now. Before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? 
Jesus said, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has been bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who has sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Let's pray. Our God and Heavenly Father, through eternity past, you put everything into the hands of the Son. All things perfect and in unison in essence, perfect and in unison and in purpose, yet took on flesh distinct in person to walk among us, to become the lowliest among us, to serve, though he had all the right to reign. Lord, as we look at this text this morning, let us be reminded of what it means to be washed by the Savior, what it means to be cleansed by Him, and what it means to serve like Him. Lord, let this text convict us. Let the gospel come alive, not only in our minds, but in our hearts and in our actions. Let us be your disciples. Let us love one another like you love us. And let us rejoice that we are yours. And our share is with you through Christ Jesus our Lord. And it is in his name we pray. Amen. Alright, so let's pick up where we are. Now, before the feast. So leading up to this, we've been, we've been following Jesus coming into Jerusalem. And we learned a couple weeks ago that we're six days, or we were six days before the Passover. And so this timing here is not coincidental. Here was the uh, typical practice. As they would come into the city of Jerusalem, usually a week beforehand, and go through a week of cleansing and preparation before entering the temple. This was understood that the dirt and the sin and everything that made them unclean needed to be washed and cleansed before they could offer sacrifices, before they could come before the presence of the Lord. So this is intentional where we are right now. So now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, he knew up until this point, he said, my hour has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. The hour is here. Jesus knows it. And so his actions are not coincidental. 
This is intentional. Everything Jesus is doing here, he's not reacting to what the disciples do or what everyone else around him does. He is doing this with full intention. In this time of preparation before the Passover where the people are reminded that a holy and pure God requires spotless sacrifices and spotless people. Jesus is going to exemplify that before them. Before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Let's talk about this for just a moment. That he would depart from this world, but he didn't come, he came to this world alone, but he would not leave alone. He came for his own. He came for those who the Father gave him. We, we worked through this in John. The ones that the Father had given him, the ones that the Father is drawing, the ones that the Father set aside, he came for them. And he loved them to the end. Now, we don't really get this in the English, but in the Greek, this is to the, to, to the utmost. To the, to the end of all things. There is no limit to how he loved them. This is love. He loved them enough to serve them. He loved them enough to die for them. And this is a passage on the love of our Savior. And the rest of John is going to show his love for them. Because he loved the Father. And he loved them. And he desires for us to love like him. So here's the setting. And the timing in the Passover. But then John kind of gives us the undercurrent. All right, here's what's going on on the surface. And this is almost uh, parenthetical here in verse 2. During supper, you almost put parentheses around this, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. So John is a master storyteller. He's, he, he's weaving this picture of what's going on in the surface. But he's also giving you little hints of what's going on underneath the surface. We're going to spend more time on this next week. But don't separate these in verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things. Look at the contrast between verse 2 and 3. In verse 2, the devil is at work. He has already started to work into the mind and heart of Judas. Yet in the same breath, Jesus knows that the Father has given him all things. We are not to lose heart when we see these details John goes on, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God. Reminds me of Romans eleven thirty six. It says, from him, through him, and to him are all things, and to him be glory forever. Amen. All things are to him, for him, and through him. And so this should just give us a moment to pause, because we all know what comes next. He rises from dinner and he serves them. Well, just think about this for a moment. He came from God. Verily God. In the same in essence. The son of God for eternity. And takes on flesh to serve. He's going back to God. If anyone had any right to be prideful, he did. If anyone had any right to say, this is beneath me. I'm the king of kings. I have no portion with you messy, sinful humans who reject me to the every fiber of your being. But he came down from his throne. He's going back to his throne of glory. 
But he came here, humbled himself to take on flesh, to be like us, humbled himself to the point of death on a cross, humbled himself to the point of serving. And not just serving in any way. I want to walk through this and I'll look at these details here beginning in verse 4. Because there's action in this passage. In verse 4 and 5, look at all of these action words. John is showing us that this is a man of action in a time of action. Each one of these actions tells us something about the character of Christ. Look at verse 4. He rose from supper. First thing he does. He laid aside his outer garments, another action verb, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. And then he poured out water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to wipe them with a the towel that he had wrapped around them. Look at all the action here. He rose, he took, he tied, he poured, he washed, he wiped. There's a lot to dig through here, but the first thing I want to look at is he rose. Now, it's one of those things that we can just kind of skip over, but here's what you have to understand about that culture. One of the things that was required to be a good host and in order to be in in good standing before a meal is you'd want to wash your dirty feet. We live in Florida. We wear flip-flops. We, we, we know what happens when dust gets in, get, gets in your feet and all that. They didn't have paved roads. Walking miles and miles in these thin little sandals. And so in, in, the, in the front of every house, if you had the means, there would be a, a basin of water. There'd be a jar and there'd be towels. And so this would be done before you even entered the house. The second thing to realize about this is that the master of the house, let alone the master of the feast, would never do this. This was the job of a slave or a servant. This was the lowest job. Because if you think about it, the only thing that they're cleaning here is their feet. So they didn't have a high view of a dirty foot. And so the the, uh, prim and and, and proper lord of the house is not going to get on his hands and knees and and wash the feet of his guests. So you got to set up culturally this is this happened every day, but it did not happen the way it's about to happen. And so I, I have to be honest with you guys this week. I'm thinking about this like, could I do this? It's like, yeah, I want to be like be like Jesus and I want to and I want to preach and and all these things. But could I do this? Um, I mean, this is normal in their culture, but let's be honest, I don't like feet. Um, and I see a lot of you shaking your heads. And we live in Florida. Like I said, we all wear flip-flops. I've seen many of you in flip-flops. I know how nasty some of your feet are. Um, I still love you, but I, yeah. Um, but imagine how nasty their feet were. I mean, you walked everywhere. There were no paved roads. We had the saying back in the day, when there's someone who you didn't want around, we told them to kick rocks. It means we wanted you to leave. They were kicking rocks all day long. And there, imagine how just torn up their, their, their feet were. And he cleaned all of their feet, even the one who would betray him. That's love. So we're going to start something new today. You can bring the, the water up. I want to see how many of you guys just... So I want to see your, your faces on that one. Um, it, it, this, is, this is not a, a bad thing. It, it would be culturally weird if we came up here and, and, and washed feet. Um, but husbands, I will tell you, if you do this for your wives, they, 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 they will love you. Just, 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 a, little, just a little tip. Um, but 
there is a tendency here to make this only about the literal thing. Well, then we should wash each other's feet because Jesus did it and he tells us to. But I want to get into that a little bit later. Let's just save that for a moment. And I want to walk through the rest of these action words. And this connects us with the acts of Christ. And without the risk of sounding allegorical, without reading into this too much, I want you to think for just a moment as we walk through these details. Verse 4. He rose from supper, so he got up in the, the time that was not, uh, that would not have been typical. And he laid aside his outer garments. Now the outer garments were what gave you your dignity. A slave would have only worn a loincloth. There would have been an outer garment and then a, a, a tunic. And so to take off your outer garments, plural, that means you are down to your, your long johns in a sense. For you, those of you from the South, you have no idea what that is. But so, so, so Jesus is, is making himself undignified before them. Which is exactly what he did when he took on flesh. He left his throne made himself undignified, left his, 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 his outer garments that gave him all of his, of, of in that culture, your, your, your pride in the regalia. He took them aside. And then taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Masters, lords, important people did not use towels. They were for servants. They were for cleaning, washing, wiping. Same one who set aside his outer garments, stepped down from the throne, took on the form of a servant. Lowly in state, lowly in his, his nature, born as a child, did not come as a king or a ruler, came wrapping a towel around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin. Also, what our Savior did is he poured himself out. This is what our baptism signifies, the water that, that cleanses. But we know it is the blood of Christ that truly cleanses. He pours himself out into his beloved. He does it because he loves them. And now does he pour himself out, he washes the disciples' feet. He washes them. The blood of Christ cleanses those he loves. He not only pours himself out, but he washes them, wipes away their sin. And then he wipes them clean with the towel. Not only does he pour himself out and cleanse them, but his atoning blood cleanses them with righteousness. What an amazing Savior we have. Who would step down from the throne who would take on the form of a servant, who would pour himself out to wash and cleanse those he loves. Don't just make this about a simple act of, of, of washing feet that the Pope does once a year. This is the nature of our Savior, of our King. This is our example as well. So of course, as happens many times, Jesus is... Showing them an example and he comes to Peter. And Peter's always an example for us. Usually in the negative, he straightens up an axe though. Um, look at verse 6. So he came to Simon Peter who said, Lord, do you wash my feet? Um, there's something here in the, the Greek that we, we miss in English. There's, a, there's a, a tool called apposition. 
where you put two things next to each other to, to, to draw attention to the contrast. In the Greek, this is literally, Lord, you, my feet wash. The you and the my are right next to each other. And you're going to see this through the rest of the passage. So pay attention as the, these pronouns are pitted against one another. Lord, you, my feet wash. This is the job of servants, of children even, of disciples, not of masters. And looking back, it's easy to pick on Peter. Peter's an easy target. But man, how many times are we just like, like Peter? Because we have this idea in, in our mind of how things should go. And some of us are not afraid to talk back to God thinking that he should do things the way we think should be done. But Jesus said to him, what I am doing, watch this apposition again. What I am doing, you do not understand now. But afterward, you will understand. He will tell them in chapter 14 and 16 that I will give you the Holy Spirit and he will help you to understand these things. So with the illumination of the Holy Spirit, Peter would understand what was going on here. Like we with the Holy Spirit can understand now. Peter would have to be humbled. But as we can see, Peter is not humbled yet. Because Peter said to him, Lord, you shall never wash my feet. This is strong language. This is never into eternity. This is literally what he says here. Never in a million years will you wash my feet. Man, that is a bold statement. Imagine standing before Jesus and say, you will never do what you just told me you were going to do. That's why he told him, get behind me, Satan. You know, Jesus tells him, you don't understand. And then right after Peter speaks like he understands and, and, and doubles down. You know, in a sense, there's a humility here because he knows this is not fitting for the master. But there's also an arrogance, thinking that he can dictate what it is. And it made me think about how often do people presume upon God? How often do people in their own estimation say, my God would never do that? My God would never choose some and not others. My God would never send anyone to hell. My God would never allow this to happen. My God would never, whatever I've done to create God in my image. There is a danger in that. Especially when the God, the, the, the word made flesh is speaking to you, telling you what he's about to do. So we must be careful to guard ourselves against God's word. If God's word says something, we hold tightly to it. Regardless of what our emotions or the culture or the pressures around us may tell us. But Jesus goes with a stronger statement. And you have to get this to get this passage. If I do not wash you, look at this. If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. These things again in, in, in contrast. Peter opposes himself to Christ. Lord, you, my feet wash. But Jesus says, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. This is the gospel. Make sure you get this. Because let's be real for a moment. Many people have a Jesus that they, they've made in their own minds. You know, they, they like the idea of the Jesus that they've created. They like the Jesus who's a good teacher who thinks that they are good also. You ever met these, these people? Jesus is great because he thinks I'm great. But if you don't understand your own wretched filth, 
and you don't understand your need to be washed by him, you don't get the gospel and you have no share with him. If you first do not understand your sin and need to be washed, if you are too arrogant and and tell Jesus what he must do or must not do, you have no share with him. John, in his first epistle, lays this out. We think about understanding the gospel. Look at 1 John chapter 1. If you in your Bibles, flip to a couple books before Revelation. 1 John chapter 1, starting in verse 7. Look at how he describes the people of the Lord. John says, but if we walk in light as he is in light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. But if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see this cleansing in opposed with with sin. There has to be a recognition and a repentance of sin to be cleansed. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. If you if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. What does it mean to be washed by Christ and have share with him? Now look at Titus chapter 3. If you don't know where that is, a few books to your left. Just before Hebrews. Titus chapter 3, starting in verse 3. I love Titus because it's, it's three chapters. It's straight to the point. It's what the church really needs to hear. It's gospel instruction, gospel instruction. And here's gospel and instruction mixed together. Titus 3 verse 3. For we ourselves... We're once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hating, hated by others and hating one another. We once were, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration. And renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. This is what God has done. So that for the purpose of being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. What is the share? That through Christ, through the washing of his blood, through the the power of the Holy Spirit, we would have an eternal share with him. We would have inheritance with him. You cannot separate these things. According to the hope of eternal life, this the saying is trustworthy and I want you to insist on these things. That is why I'm insisting. So that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Um, So let's break this down a little bit. Our sin. The thing that separates us from God must be cleansed. And only by Christ coming and humbling himself as a a servant and pouring himself out could there be a share and inheritance. 
We talk about this many times here. Many people want heaven and all the blessings of God, but they don't want Christ and him crucified. They don't want to die to their own sins. You cannot separate these things. This is clear, right? Not to Peter. (laughs) Peter, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. I mean, I appreciate Peter. He just keeps trying. You know, it's like, but he corrects him again. Five seconds ago, he said, Lord, you're never going to do this. Well, now if you're going to do it, you're not doing enough. You ought to do more. Sound familiar? Anyone ever had that conversation with God before? But Jesus, in his patience, teaches Peter and his frailty. Look at verse 10. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. Anyone read that and scratch their head a little bit? Like, what is, what's going on here? Well, for those of you who, who got it, good. For those of you who don't, let's, let, let's walk through that. Jaron said, thank you. You're welcome. Uh, the, the one who has bathed does not need to wash. What does it mean to be bathed? So this is a... A, a full cleansing. The one who was already bathed, this, not just the external ceremonial cleansing that happened before the, the festival, but that kind of bathing, every part of you must be clean. The one who has truly been washed is completely clean. That washing of regeneration, the one who has been made new, who has been born again, the one who has been justified, that one is spiritually clean. That one does not have to bathe himself again. But in order to dine with me, your feet are still dirty from the journey. The one who has been justified still needs sanctification. The one who has been bathed fully still needs to be cleaned. This is exactly what the ladies talked about yesterday in their study. I love that they're talking about holiness. And there is this tension because hasn't Christ made me holy? But shouldn't I desire holiness? Yes. And it's the same tension here. When Christ washed you with his blood, when he regenerated you, made you new, made you a new creation, you are holy before him. But we're still affected by sin. Our feet are still dirty from the journey. And we should seek the cleansing that is growth in sanctification that we look more and more like our Lord. We are more and more holy until the day when he will perfectly make us holy. Help? Does that make sense? Yes. And this is important to get. Because those who are bathed in Christ, those who are washed in him, do not need to be bathed again and again. You don't need to be saved every week. The one who imputes righteousness also cleanses sinfulness. Amen? Thankfully. This is why we observe the Lord's Supper. It reminds us that we've been washed by the blood of the Savior and we are welcome at his table. But it also reminds us that our feet are dirty from the journey. And that we need to repent. We need to remember our sin and desire to grow in holiness. And know that Jesus not only completely justifies us, but he sanctifies us as well. But then he says, and you are clean. This you here is plural. He's speaking to them. You are clean. Know that the... the Cleanliness that is needed, the washing that is needed is is needed through faith. You are clean in the plural. 
but not all of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That is why he said, not all of you are clean. Look at, look at this. Jesus knew his hour. Jesus knew the Father gave him all things, and he knew who was to betray him. This shows us the mind of Christ. This is not someone who's fumbling through life or hoping everyone around him does what he wants them to do. He's in full understanding of everything that's going on. Uh, more on this next week. And when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I've done to you? Do you? Do you understand what Jesus has, has, has done here? Do we understand? We see three things from Jesus. We see his humility in, in washing, that he takes on the form of a servant. But we also see in the, the cleansing, in the act, that his atonement, that's what makes you clean. That's what gives you a share with him. We also see this as an example. That's where we're going to turn now. Do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. Now, Jesus has run from this type of language before. But now in his final hours, he declares this. You say that I am Lord and teacher, you are right, for so I am. Teacher, I am the word, I am the source of truth. I am where you go for understanding. You want to be my disciple? The word means learner. Sit under the teacher. Follow me. But I am also Lord. I am royalty. I am the authority on which this truth stands. The teacher and the Lord go together hand in hand. And so it is on that authority, it is on that premise that Jesus now gets into this. Remember I, I told you that tool of apposition? Look at this. Look at the, 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 the pronouns here. You call me teacher and Lord. You are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example. Think Jesus is trying to get their attention here? Peter, you want to compare yourself to me? Let's make this comparison. If I then, if this is how I treat the ones I love, how should you treat the ones I love? We love because he first loved us. We show that love by loving the ones he loves. His own. So what's going on here? So when Jesus said, if I wash your feet, you also ought ought to wash one another's feet. Do we take this expressly, literally? Is Jesus obsessed with feet? I, I think you know the answer to this. Jesus is saying, I am the Lord. I am the teacher. I will do the lowliest things for the one I love. How could you dare say something is beneath you? How could you dare say you are too good or too big to do something for the one I love? When he says one another here, he's talking about believers. Not that we shouldn't serve others, but some make this a, a blanket call to just service for the sake of service. We're going to spend a lot of time in John 17. Jesus' high priestly prayer where his desire is that we are one, is that we love one another, that we show the love of Christ to one another. 
What does it mean to be a servant of Christ? What does it mean to be a slave to righteousness? It means people who have been washed by Christ so overwhelmed with the grace and forgiveness he has shown them that they show grace and forgiveness to the ones he loves. They serve his body, the ones he died for. We ought to look so different from the world. The way that we treat one another, the way that we love one another should shock people the way it shocked people when Jesus stood up in the middle of dinner. We'll be with each other for eternity. Shouldn't we start now? And here's a challenge here. If the gospel does not lead you to love and serve the one Christ loved, his saints, I would argue you don't understand the gospel. Christ went to his hour. His hour being the cross to die for us. He did it lovingly. He did it willfully to cleanse us from you from unrighteousness and unite us in love. That is the gospel. That is what this passage is teaching us. Yes, he died for our sins. Yes, he served his people. Yes, he watched them in righteousness. But yes, he wants them to be united in love as well. Our master, our redeemer, is our, is our servant and our example. Now, just a piece of encouragement. I've been in church my entire life. And I've never been a part of a body who loves and serves one another like you guys do naturally. I mean that. I thank the Lord every day that I'm a part of a body where if someone spills something, no one looks around to see who's going to do this. People look around to see who's going to jump to it first. When there's a baby that's crying and it's not their own, they will pick it up. It. They will pick them up. Sorry. Um, <laughs> um, people who naturally serve one another. You, you, you have a need. Let me meet your need. No one has to ask me. That is a blessing. We ought to praise the Lord for that. And we ought to guard that. Guard that against the wolves from without and the wolves from within. Know that we are his disciples because we keep his commandments and because we love one another and serve one another. That's what the body of Christ should do. So he gives an analogy here. Verse 16, truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a master greater than the one who has sent him. Uh, I want to just take a side note here and, and talk about leaders for a moment. Talk about those who lead in the name of Christ. Um, I want to talk about leaders, messengers, those who are called to lead others in the name of Christ, those who are called to proclaim the message of the gospel. We are called to take the posture of John the Baptist. You become greater. I will become lesser. Leaders are to lead by example. I had a conversation with my brother a couple weeks ago, and we talked. To, he said that the, the phrase "shepherds should smell like sheep." They should. Dirty, stupid creatures covered in bugs. Don't know how to feed themselves or care for themselves, and yet the shepherd loves them. The first thing a leader is, is a servant. Jesus says, a servant is not greater than his master. Paul calls himself a servant of Christ Jesus for the sake of the elect. 
These things go together. I serve Christ, not for my sake, but for the sake of his own. I've had a lot of conversations with many of you lately and a lot of things going on in different churches and in the news. And many Christian leaders act like they are above the flock. They're too good to serve. They're too good to care for. They they will not fraternize or they, they, they won't mix themselves in with the sheep. Sadly, many pastors are not thinking like servants. They're thinking like CEOs. <laughs> Sadly. This makes me sad, and as a pastor, it makes me angry. I've spoken to so many of you who have looked up to those in authority who act like they are greater than the master. And that weighs on me so heavily. And that's a good prayer for you to pray for your leaders. Pray for me. Pray for Deshaun. Pray for anyone who is in leader in, in leadership. And any of you, if you are around here long enough, you will become leaders of others. As new people come in and as we begin to disciple one another, remember this. Peter. Interesting here that the same Peter who... You know, open mouth, insert foot, Peter. Open mouth, insert our names. Um, In his letter, does not speak as an apostle, does not speak on his authority. If you want, you can turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. But look how Peter speaks to the leaders in 1 Peter chapter 5. And just so you know, anytime we consider anyone for leadership, especially an elder, They must stand up to this passage. First Peter chapter five, starting in verse one. And I want you to see where he closes this. Because in the context of speaking to elders, and this is good for you to know. First Peter chapter five, starting in verse one. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. Peter has been humbled. And as a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory that share with Christ. Look at verse 5. This is what I want you to pay attention to. Likewise, You who are younger, be subject to the elders. It's true. But the the second half. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. When you think about clothe yourselves, every time you read this, every time you hear this, think about Christ. How did he clothe himself before them? Not with his outer garments, but with his loincloth. With a towel wrapped around his waist. He clothed himself with humility. That is our chief shepherd. That is our standard bearer. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And John wraps this up. This is important for us to get to. If you don't get this, you don't get the gospel. Look at verse 17. Two important words here. 
If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. The gospel must be known. It must be understood. That's why we teach and expound the scriptures. But it must be done as well. For many people, it's easy to know, but it is very hard to do. For many people, it's easy to do, but it is hard to know. We must, with the same fervor, dig into the scriptures and know the truths of the gospel. With the same zeal, do them. Because that is what it means to be blessed. In our culture, so many people throw around the word blessed. You know, athletes and a- actors and hashtag blessed and all that stuff. And, 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 and even, even believers say all the time, I am blessed and highly favored. Which is Christian speak for look how well everything's going for me right now. Sorry. Um, look how good I'm doing. Like Vody Bakum says, if you can't say amen, you ought to say ouch. But what does Jesus say? Blessed are you if you know these things and do them. That is blessing. There is a blessing that comes from serving one another in the name of Christ that you can't get on your own. Do you understand that? Those of you who do this know this. You are blessed. Those of you who know these things and do these things, you are blessed. Now here's where we get uncomfortable. Many of you are missing out on the blessing that comes from communion with the saints. Many of you are so concerned with yourselves that you don't take much concern for the ones that that Christ loves. You wonder why you aren't growing spiritually or you wonder why you're struggling spiritually. The reality is the only fellowship you get with other believers is on the way in and out of church when you come. And I know I'm preaching the choir for a lot of you, but I do have I do have conversations with with many of you like, why am I struggling? Why am I not growing? Because you don't know and do these things. You play the part on Sunday morning, but where does it go beyond that? So I want to leave. I want to close with one last example. Close before my conclusion. Still got more. Um, so I knew a guy who, when he decided to propose to his fiance, he washed her feet. Beautiful gesture, right? Takes her out to a park, gets a basin of, of water, takes her, her shoes off and washes her feet. He wanted to be like Christ. He did it publicly. It's a beautiful thing. But when marriage got hard and he realized that it wasn't everything he thought it was going to be, he left. He divorced her, left her a wreck. We can be like Jesus once. Anyone can do that. When he loves his disciples to the end, that is what it means to love. That is what it means to be like Christ. Do not grow weary in doing good. Let's make a conclusion here. Know and do these things. The gospel is to be known and lived. Let me repeat that. The gospel is to be known and lived with Christ as our source, our symbol, and our example. And let's, as believers, let's change our our, our terminology. 
We are not blessed because everything goes right or I have everything I want. Amen? I'm going to show you, I'm going to tell you what our blessings are and I want you to say amen with me. We are not blessed because everything is going right in our estimation. We are blessed because we've been washed by the blood of the Lamb. Amen? Amen. We are blessed because our teacher and our Lord loved us to the point of death. Amen? Amen? We are blessed because we've been adopted into an eternal family and our heirs have a share with Christ. Amen? Amen. We are blessed because he loved us, not to his own comfort, but came as, an, came as a servant to give us an example. Amen? Amen? Go and do likewise. <laughs> so as we transition into preparing for communion, I set you guys up for that. Um, as we prepare our minds and our hearts to approach this table, think about our Savior. Think about our Savior who humbled himself for us. And let's examine ourselves. Any areas where we are boasting in our own strength. We have no basis for this. Let's examine ourselves. Any area that we think we are too good for. I've been there, done that. I don't need to do that anymore. I don't need fellowship with the saints. Are you better than Christ? We all know the answer to that. So I'm going to give you a moment of reflection and repentance, any unrepentant sin, anything that is causing division between you or a brother, any area where you are trying to correct Christ. Humble yourself, submit yourself before our teacher and our Lord and prepare yourself to receive his table. I'll give you a few moments. Our Lord and our God, we come before you as sinners, hopelessly weak, dead in our transgressions. But you, in your loving kindness and great mercy, sent your Son, God in the flesh, to redeem, reconcile, and restore us to right fellowship with you. No more blood of goats, no more priests and sacrifices, no more temple, because we can come to the temple. Christ Jesus, our Lord. Lord, you humbled yourself that we might be humbled. Let those of us Peters here who tend to speak back to you, let you wash and cleanse us. Those of us who are holding on to sins, who are holding on to ourselves, who are trying to save ourselves, let them stop. Let them rest. Be still and know that you are God. Lay their sins before you. Let us know that we are blessed in Christ. Let us know that we are blessed to know Christ and to serve like Christ. Let us be people who are known by our doctrine and our practice. You are good and gracious. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for our salvation. Thank you that you invited us to your table that you have washed us clean, and that we will be with you forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we often do before communion, we go to Luke 22, and we read this as the institution of the Lord's Supper passage. 
Same room, same occasion. Luke gives different details. But I want to read it in full context today. You can, sure. Um, I want to read this in full context today. Because there's an interesting thing that, that happens here. And you can kind of get the, the temperature of the room if you read all the way through. So Luke chapter 22, you can turn there with me if you want. Verse 14. And when the hour came, here's that hour again, reclining at the table, he, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it amongst yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. We normally stop here. But let's keep reading. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. More next week. Hint, hint, be here next week. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which one of, one of them it could be who was going to do this. Now, these I tell you all the time, these separations in our Bible will mess us up. Because Jesus had just instituted the Lord's Supper. He had just told them one of them was gonna, one of you is gonna betray me. And what do the disciples do? Talk about their own greatness. A dispute arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. Are you kidding me? We've all been there. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. And those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. This is that same group, same occasion. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as the one who serves. For who is the greater? The one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. Jesus, in instituting the Lord's Supper, these Petty knuckleheads go right away from him to talk about their own greatness. And he reminds them that he is the one who serves. I am the one who serves. And the one who serves washes, cleanses, sanctifies, and invites us to his table. So if you are a follower of Christ, if you know this and do this, this is a family meal. You would come up on the outsides. You would take a piece of the bread and break it. Every time you break the bread, remember that Christ's body has been broken for your sins and rejoice that it was his body broken and not yours. You would take a piece of that and dip it in the cup. Remember that it is his, his blood that was shed for your sins. You will hear the body of Christ broken for you, blood of Christ shed for you. If you do not know him, if you do not understand the gospel, please talk to us. Let us walk through this with you. We ask you to remain in your seats. Parents, we'll give you the discretion with your children. If they understand this, if they profess this, they are welcome at the table. So whenever you're ready, you can come up.